0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Crypto Unstacked podcast. I'm your host, Leslie Lamb. Wherever you are, whoever you are, crypto skeptic, half believer, or enthusiast, it's really great to have you tuning in to Crypto Unstacked where we bring you a cup of crypto every week and unstack everything from finance to global macroeconomics this podcast assumes basic knowledge of crypto and aims to explore some more advanced topics about the crypto markets such as trading strategies lending and derivatives the crypto unstacked podcast is meant for informational purposes only and should not be considered as financial or investment advice Nothing expressed in this podcast should be construed as a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Amber Group to buy or sell any financial products. Information expressed by the host or guest in this podcast does not necessarily reflect the views of Amber Group. This week, I chat with Ethan Vera, CFO and co-founder of Luxor Technologies, one of the largest Bitcoin and altcoin mining pools in North America. We covered a ton of topics, including the mining pool business model, the Luxor profit switching pool, their enterprise partnerships, and the volatility of mining luck. Ethan breaks down the anatomy of hash rate and the emergence of hash rate as an asset class and how that is fast becoming an important topic of conversation within the crypto finance world. He also gives his take on whether the top three Chinese exchanges, finance, Huofi, and OKX will eventually get into the hashrate futures game now that they all own mining pools. It was awesome hearing about Ethan's contrarian views on the mining industry, and I know you'll have a lot to take away from our conversation. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hey, Ethan. A very big welcome to Crypto Unstacked. It's great to have you join me on the pod.
1: Great. Thanks for having me on, Leslie.
0: Before we dive in on all things Luxor Technologies and mining, it would be great if you can share more about your background and path to crypto for listeners who don't know you already.
1: For sure. Uh, before I got into mining, I used to work mostly in financial services. So did a bit of time in asset management at RBC, a bank up here in Canada. And then most recently was an investment banker at Goldman Sachs, uh, working in both San Francisco and Hong Kong. Uh, at Goldman, most of my time was focused on cross-border and I really got into mining about two and a half years ago. For me, the really interesting part of Bitcoin and crypto was the idea that there is no longer a central entity that determines the supply of new money. Rather, anyone with computer, internet, and electricity can take part in the process of, of minting new coins. And our team was fascinated by that process of taking raw compute power, building blocks and consensus. and you know, as a result being compensated for it. In essence, what we see is the, the future central bankers. Just over two years ago, we started building out mining pools. We started with Cyan Decred coins and have since built out a suite of 11 total coins um, and now experimenting with some cool liquidation strategies like profit switching algorithms.
0: To start off, we'd love to know who else is on the Luxor team?
1: Our team's pretty small still. There's four of us full-time, relatively small compared to some of our global peers. Really, the mastermind behind our product is our CEO, Nick Han as well as our CTO Eddie. They're both software engineers by trade. Nick spent half a decade at Salesforce leading a technical team in their artificial intelligence group, Einstein. And then Eddie uh, previously worked for Scicoin, the decentralized cloud storage company, as well as wallet. And then we have myself and, and Guzman who work on the business end of things. So Really, I think our company is a nice equilibrium between finance and tech, which really is what you know Bitcoin and crypto is about.
0: Can you walk us through the business model for a mining pool? For some of our listeners who aren't quite familiar with the different players on the mining value chain, it would be helpful to break down how a mining pool works.
1: This is usually a, a question we get like halfway through a, a meeting by about 20% of people we talk to is, where are your machines located? Yeah, you're right. We're, we're very different from a mining company in, in the sense that we are just a software platform. So essentially what we do is we buy compute power, known as hash rate, from people who own specialized hardware. We then take that compute power, build blocks with it in the hopes that it's a valid block and get rewarded for our efforts. We usually buy hash rate for around 98% of our perceived value of that hash rate. We pay a discount given that we take the luck risk of mining, as mining is probabilistic in nature. We also have the core tech to be able to submit the work to the network, which requires a full node, something that ASICs don't come with anymore. And so that's really our existing business. And not a lot of people see it that way, but the miners themselves are actually our suppliers. We buy from them and our customers, the, the networks, which reward us for securing them.
0: Right. And I know you guys support a number of coins. How do you choose which ones to support at any given time? Is it something that your miners request from you guys and you guys just have to do the research to figure out whether it's suitable to offer on the platform?
1: Yeah, it's, it's probably half and half, half user driven. So somebody brings it to our attention versus half we see it and you know we want to add it. We see ourselves really as an alternative venture capital firm. Instead of investing capital into tokens, we invest our time into building mining pools. And given this investment of time, we try to take a detailed look at the project and evaluate it on a few things before moving forward. So the first would be, you know, does this project actually add value to the ecosystem? We try to back projects we think are cool and have potential to better the world. Of course, we can get this wrong sometimes and, you know, the developer disappears and the project ends up folding. But we try to back projects we believe in. The second point would be how big of an investment do we need to make into this? Some mining pools are easier to build than others. If it's a fork of a pool we already operate, our dev team can probably build it in about a week or so. But if it's a new coin that has an entirely new algorithm, it could take a lot longer than that. So all of our software is built from ground up, so we can't leverage existing open source pools out there. And then the third would be the economics of running the pool. This usually comes down to the daily emission rate. So block reward and transaction fees in USD, and then our potential for market share. So we try and take like a look at all these aspects before making a decision to launch a new coin and a new pool.
0: Let's say I'm a miner and I choose your platform. How does it work on the back end? Am I paid out in altcoins? Am I paid out in BTC? How do I earn my mining revenue?
1: So historically, miners have always sold their hash rate for the native token that they're mining. So if you send me... Equihash hash rate, and you're connected to our Zcash pool, you as a miner are expected and have historically been paid in, in Zcash for your compute power. This is starting to change for a couple of reasons. One, there's a product we launched last year called Catalyst, where basically instead of pricing your hash rate in the native token, uh, let's say Zcash, we are now pricing and paying you out directly in Bitcoin. And then the second would be that we're moving towards profit switching, which is chain agnostic. So that idea of like a native token is slowly disappearing. This is okay for a number of reasons, mainly because miners are mostly profit-driven and wanna liquidate right away from Bitcoin, at least a percentage of it, to USD or RMB or Canadian dollars to pay off their electricity. So getting paid in Bitcoin really saves them a step from having to convert from Zcash to Bitcoin, then Bitcoin to USD.
0: Right, and on the platform side then, how do you limit the exposure to altcoin price volatility
1: Right. You identified the the primary concern here. So from a miner's perspective, there's really no difference from their process. They're just now receiving Bitcoin instead of some other altcoin. But on our end, you're right, there is that altcoin price volatility risk. So we pay miners up front for the perceived value in Bitcoin and we quote them in that. But in the back end, we're only trading a few times every hour. So there's a time period where we're holding on to that altcoin and taking that risk. To buffer this risk, we usually increase the discount we pay to miners for their hash rate. Um, so you can think of it as like they get paid a little bit less if they liquidate through us. Hopefully that that's still more profitable than them doing it themselves because we can batch together and get better efficiency there. But we also try to convert uh, on the back end often so that we can limit that risk and also work to get better platforms that help us uh, liquidate better and have good market liquidity.
0: Going back to the profit switching pool that you mentioned earlier, I can imagine this has been very popular for miners coming onto the platform. Is this something that, you know, I as a miner would opt into or is it something that you automatically offer miners once they sign on to the platform?
1: Right now, most of these are opt into it. So we're not the only ones, I guess, with a profit switching pool. Um, there's quite a few on the shock six now as well. Some of the mega pools in China offer it. I think moving forward, though, profit switching is inevitable. Pretty much any platform will be profit switching. So I actually perceive like the idea of Bitcoin pool and Bitcoin cash pool. I think in the future, they're just going to be shot 56 six pools. But for now, um, on our platform, it's completely optional. You can either mine straight Zcash cash with us and get paid out in Zeke or you can mine Equihash with us and get paid on Bitcoin. It's really your decision. What we've seen so far from launch is that most miners will opt in because we've had about a 4.5% uplift over Zcash. So you're really just missing out on gains if you're not mining with a profit switcher.
0: Right. So I can earn extra yield opting into this profit switching pool and switch between chains if I'm agnostic to mining a specific token?
1: exactly but the specialized hardware that mines crypto you know known as ASICs they produce very specific compute power this hash rate can only be used to mine a single proof of work algorithm but the main algorithms have multiple coins built on them so something like bitcoin bch bsv those are all built on sha256 algorithm and those coins have fluctuating minor profitability levels you know the base profitability is on the coin price block reward transaction fees and network difficulty then on top is things like liquidation fees trading risks and network fees, so really the profit switcher is just now making the mining process chain agnostic. So you know instead of selling us Equihash hash rate to mine Zcash, miner sell us Equihash hash rate, and then we decide which coin to mine uh, with it, and then by doing so we get an uplift over mining a single chain, and then we pass that gain on to the miner by buying their hash rate at a higher price point.
0: And you said previously that this profit switching mechanism makes the mining value chain more transparent. Could you just expand on that?
1: Yeah, I think ultimately hash rate right now is a black box. Oftentimes people talk about a mining pool and they say, hey, they're charging me a 2% fee or 3% fee, but you really don't know what that fee is based on. So is it based on the expected value of Zcash? Is it expected weighted value of Equihash chains? And so the idea that hash rate is chain agnostic really starts to open up miners to understanding that mining pools are really black boxes right now and that they should be really concerned more on how much they're selling their hash rate for versus the percentage fee that a mining pool tells them. Because you could be on one pool that says they charge 2%, but you may be getting paid out less than one that says they charge 2.5 based on what that fee is being calculated on. So I think the profit switching algorithms will will help transition people to really realizing how they're liquidating their hash rate and where that price comes from.
0: Looking at the mining pool ecosystem, are you guys seeing institutional miners interested in working with you guys through a partnership or are you primarily working more with hobbyist miners
1: historically we were pretty much all retail focused especially because that's what makes up the majority of the altcoin communities where we started but definitely in bitcoin it's more enterprise and institutional focus so starting to have a lot more conversations with those enterprise style miners in north america also a lot of north american firms both engaged in mining and then also kind of been on the sidelines so far they're also very interested in the idea of a Bitcoin pool, so starting to have a lot more conversations on, on partnerships around that. The North American mining pool space has kind of been non-existent to date, so a lot of players are kind of eyeing the landscape and everyone's seeing the opportunity to have a larger North American mining pool available for North American miners to choose from.
0: Yeah. Did you see actually a lot of demand heading into the having or post having, or has it just been consistent demand that you're seeing from other miners in North America?
1: I think the miners in North America want to use a North American pool but with the right conditions. Miners are still profit-driven. So as a mining pool, you need to make sure that you are getting miners the best price. Um, And they're not going to go to you just because you're North American and if you charge more. So we've taken that approach with all of our altcoin pools. It's like, how do we make sure that our miners are very profitable on our platform versus our competitors? And we've been able to offer a great service for that. For Bitcoin pools, it's a bit of a harder competition. So we haven't seen an influx of miners into our Bitcoin pool yet. But I think this is something that we're going to be working on in the future is figuring out how we can compete on that front. But I'd say with the halving didn't affect us much. We're still mostly altcoin focused with smaller operations in Bitcoin. So our customers weren't affected by that too much, nor our demand.
0: Right. And how do you assess risk operating a mining pool? I can imagine new miners are thinking about this when they're trying to decide which pool to join, regardless of the region the pool is based in.
1: Yeah, risk from the miners' front. I mean, mining pools always have been and, and still are a black box. So miners will point 20 machines at us, 20 machines at a competitor, and wait two weeks to determine which one is more profitable. A very unsophisticated way of testing. So I'm really hoping for more price transparency from pools on the amount they pay for hash rate, and then hopefully that will make that risk less for miners. In terms of risk as a mining pool ourselves, the biggest one is um the volatility of mining luck. So mining is probabilistic in nature. So as the mining pool, we buy hash rate on the expected value of that hash rate, when in reality, then we get the actual value. And that actual value is quite volatile. There's periods where we don't mine as many blocks as we pay out for. So as a mining pool, we need to keep liquidity to make sure we cover that variance. And that's historically where mining pools have gone out of business is that they didn't have enough liquidity to cover that that variance. And Either there was a bug or a period of bad luck, or they were getting attacked by another mining pool, and um, you know that was the end of, that, of their operations.
0: Another topic that I wanted to pick your brain on is hash rate. I know you've written and spoken a lot on this topic lately. I'd like to use this next part of our conversation to break down the anatomy of hash rate and also the hash rate market as well, which seems to be a hot topic as of late. So could you start off by explaining hash rate in Explain It Like I'm Five Terms?
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's 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 actually pretty hard to do. Um I'll give it a try though. So hash rate is really just the speed at which a computer uh, an ASIC, a GPU, a CPU, is completing an operation in the cryptocurrency's code. Uh, therefore, hash rate is measured in hashes per second, where hash is an output to the cryptocurrency's hash function. And probably at its most basic level, you can think of hash rate as computing power.
0: So how is hash rate then valued and priced?
1: I like to say that the value of hash rate is a term that I'm trying to start at, which is called hash price. But really, to get the value of hash rate, you need to look at the existing market. So currently, hash rate is traded OTC. The people owning the mining equipment produce the hash rate, and then they sell it to mining pools um, in one-on-one negotiations, negotiating a fee. And so the market is really OTC style. We, as a mining pool, we pay miners based on the expected value of their hash rate. So at its base level, the Expected value is a function of network difficulty, block reward, and transaction fees on the network. And then from there, we discount the expected value, a certain percentage, and then buy it from miners. I think as profit switching develops, this will move from hash rate being produced per chain. to by algorithm, which I again think is an inevitable and necessary step for the mining ecosystem. So ASICs produce Shock 56 hash rate, not Bitcoin hash rate. So the value really needs to be based on what it actually produces in the future.
0: And you've mentioned before that you guys operate pools on a pay per share payment method. And this is something you've developed over the years for pricing and purchasing hash rate from your miners. Can you explain how that works?
1: Yeah, I will just start by saying that about 95% of the industry works on this payment method. So I really generalize when I you know make these assumptions about the industry historically and currently pools are operating on this basis. Really, what pay per share is is it's a payment method that pools utilize to pay miners upfront for the expected value. So if you own 10% of the Bitcoin network hash rate, I'll pay you 10% of its worth right up front. And then I go and take that compute power as the mining pool and then use it to mine. Sometimes I may only find. Sometimes I may find 15%. But really, as a mining pool, I take that variance risk away from you as the miner. So you can think of the miners' revenue as very stable in this method versus the mining pools are then dealing with that luck variant. That's essentially what pay-per-share is. And on an ongoing basis, we're basically crediting miners for every share they submit to the mining pool. And a share is really just a function of their hash rate.
0: So now we've defined hash rate. What is the risk that miners face holding this stuff? Isn't it extremely volatile?
1: It is. And miners make thousands, if not millions of dollars of investment into their build-outs from building facilities to filling it with machines, yet they are entirely exposed to hash price, You know the value of their hash rate. They can make an investment when the hash price is at nine and a half cents a terahash per day. And then next year it could be worth only five cents and all of that was completely out of their control. So the volatility of hash price, which is about three times more volatile than Bitcoin price is uh, it's an incredible risk for miners to take and it i think it's caused the boom and bust cycles of mining farms and i think it's also been the reason that a lot of institutional money in north america has been sidelined
0: yeah it seems like hash rate is the center of the larger conversation on financialization of mining you know hash rate is being viewed as an increasingly tradable asset but the question right now right is who are the sellers and buyers of hash rate as you mentioned earlier we've seen a few of these deals being brokered via OTC, so over the counter, but it seems like there's still not a very liquid secondary market, neither in China nor elsewhere. And so, how do you bootstrap liquidity to build a robust hash rate market?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Hash rate, really, in my opinion, is an interesting asset class. It's ephemeral by nature, so you need to utilize it instantly, or else it's worth nothing at all, and you can't store it. But it can also be globally distributed. I could send my hash rate produced in Vancouver to you in Hong Kong almost instantly. The standard sellers of hash rate are producers who own the equipment. They currently sell it to mining pools, but we're starting to see these, this expand with products like cloud mining, where a miner could produce and sell hash rate to a mining pool. Instead of using it to mine, the mining pool could then turn around and sell it to another buyer through a cloud mining contract. I think in the future, miners will continue to be. The main sellers of hash rate, but there will likely be more parties that are engaging with it in the middle before it ends up being used ultimately to mine on a network. Uh, The current buyers of hash rate, as described earlier, are really mining pools. A mining pool is effectively a wholesale buyer of hash rate. They can buy unlimited hash rate up to one hundred percent if they have enough liquidity. And in the current ecosystem, there really are are only a handful of buyers. But I think in the future we'll start to see more people engage with hash rate from the buy side. And just wrapping it up to your point on bootstrapping liquidity and creating a robust market for it, I think it really comes down to having a transparent spot market that miners feel comfortable going to sell their hash rate and also gets them a price better than they could get if they're selling at OTC because miners are profit driven. I think whenever markets change from OTC to exchange traded, it generally adds better transparency and better pricing due to an open universe of of buyers.
0: How does the miner benefit from being able to sell hash rate when needed?
1: Yeah, so miners are effectively selling to mining pools on per second right now. So they they need to maintain that connection to the mining pool and continue to sell it. Really going to the spot market, uh, the difference is now that they can basically sell it in a more transparent way, where now they know the exact pricing for their hash rate and understand uh, how much they're getting paid for it. And so this type of structure would, I think, would ultimately benefit miners through through that transparency.
0: Mm-hmm. And you said mining pools are the natural buyers of hash rate. Let's talk about one that's just joined the party. That's Binance Pool, the latest exchange really to enter the crypto mining space, mirroring their Chinese exchange partners, such as Huobi and OKX. So what's your take on Binance's latest move? Yeah,
1: yeah, it's uh, the hot topic for sure. Exactly like you said, they're they're following their competitors. So having a Bitcoin mining pool really acts as a liquidity fire hose into your exchange, where miners not only go to liquidate their mining reward, but also engage, engage with other trading and lending services. I think it's incredibly powerful to join the mining and exchange business together to control the whole ecosystem. So it makes sense why Binance would enter this space. I welcome any new mining pool into the space. Really, it's they're just another buyer. I think the more buyers there are, the better the marketplace for hash rate will be. I know some of my other pool operators um, have raised concerns that Binance uh, in the past has discussed things like reorgs. And if they control enough hash rate, this could be dangerous for the network. I guess there's definitely mixed feelings about them coming into the space.
0: Yeah. And another new kid on the block that is not as big as Binance, of course, but no one expected is Lupien. Can you talk about who those guys are or is there not that much information out there yet about these guys?
1: Yeah, I wish I knew. So let me know if you find out. My understanding is that they were existing as a private mining pool. So they, they didn't disclose their address to any of the block explorers. So nobody knew they were mining blocks because it was just a private address. And they've recently gone public. So I don't think it's like a new player on the sp- in the space per se, but more of just uh, an existing player now becoming public. It's probably a, a large mining operation in China, but it's, it's really hard to see at this point.
0: So before we move on to the next topic, let's take a quick break and hear a few words about Amber Group. This episode of the Crypto Unstacked podcast is presented by Amber Group. Amber Group is a fully integrated crypto finance platform offering a suite of secondary market services across trading, wealth management, and financing solutions. We are backed by some amazing investors such as Paradigm and Pantera and work with clients and partners all over the world. Head on over to ambergroup.io to learn more about us. That's A-M-B-E-R-G-R-O-U-P.io. Ethan, Luxor has said in order to develop a futures market on hash rate, we need a real spot price for hash rate. What are your thoughts on that? And how do we develop this spot price?
1: It's really hard to get good pricing in the existing market. Mining pools are black boxes. And so we really have no idea on the exact number that miners are selling their hash rate for. You can make an okay estimate based on the chain valuation, but really it's an estimate at best. So you're right. And we do need that more robust spot price before you can start building more sophisticated financial instruments on top. This is a product we are actively working on. So we'll leave it at that for now and you know, stay tuned.
0: On the derivative side, you know, it seems like an exchange has already gone out the gate running with a difficulty contract. So that's FTX. They recently launched futures on Bitcoin mining difficulty. And just to give a bit of background, this contract settles to the average Bitcoin difficulty over a period of time, which they say equates to a total implied hash power used to mine Bitcoin. And these are quarterly futures. So more on the long longer term side. What's your take on this? Is this something you think miners will want to trade?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it's amazing to see the level of interest in this product. It makes me really happy to know that traders are interested in the mining space and, and want to engage with it. I was actually trading uh, myself last night on it. Um, saw that uh, basically, in Q4, the, the average difficulty expected is about 15% higher uh, than it is now. So that's where the market's currently trading on FDX. So people are basically pricing in that hash rate will recover to its pre-having levels uh, by the end of the year. So I, I, like, I think it's in- incredibly interesting to watch. Uh, while fun for traders, I still question how useful these instruments are for hedging for miners. So let's say a miner used a difficulty hedge in March 2020, they would have gone long difficulty to hedge their mining revenue. But during this time, hash price dropped from around 14 cents a terahash per day to 10 cents a terahash per day. And difficulty also dropped by 15%. So here's a clear example of a time that you you couldn't use difficulty as a hedge for your miner revenue. So Well, I think it's an interesting first step. I I don't think it's a complete hedge for miners. Really, miners produce hash rate. So unless you're hedging that hash rate, then you're really only doing one part of it.
0: Mm -hmm. And do you anticipate that one of the big three exchanges that we talked about earlier, you know, Binance, Huobi, OKX, who already have mining pools, will eventually get into the hash rate futures game themselves, since it seems like they will already have a natural pool of buyers and sellers on their platform?
1: That's a good question. I guess we'll we'll have to see how big the market becomes. FTX has launched an incredible amount of innovative trading products. And so I'm not sure if the rest of the exchanges will kind of just follow along this offering. Uh, they'll probably have to prove some market fit before the other exchanges follow along. I'm sure they'll run this product idea down, but they're also these exchanges are flush with that uh, different ideas and probably their biggest constraint is time and resources. So for them, it would be kind of just picking which opportunities to pursue.
0: But definitely keeping close tabs on what other exchanges are doing because exchanges are very competitive, just like in the mining ecosystem.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe they'll just list it to, to spite them. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I want to circle back to the topic on having very quickly, not necessarily to go through exactly what happened on that day, but More so for those of our listeners, again, who aren't that familiar with mining in general, but they know that the halving was a big macro event. Could we talk about the halving from three angles? One is hash rate, the second one, hash price, and the third, the average transaction fees.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, It was kind of the... The media took a, a non-event that we knew four years ahead of time and, and made it into the biggest event. So it was quite funny to watch. And then obviously all the traders are, are happy and excited for it because they're expecting good price movement. But miners are obviously just putting on a brave face or revenue got cut in half. So I don't think anybody in the mining community was super happy about that. <laughs> to, to address your, your three points. So the first one was on hash rate. Hash rate, it ended up dropping a bit lower than I expected. It came down Uh, around 20% from 120 exahash to 100. I was predicting more around 25%. It's really hard to predict these. Uh, Basically, you need to factor in like electricity costs around the world, uh, what types of machines people are running at, different tiers for that, minor pain thresholds. Really, there's a lot of parameters that need to go into those estimations. So it it did come down in line with what people were thinking, which was around the 20 to 30% mark. Difficulty actually just dropped an hour ago. So the difficulty... Adjustment happens every two weeks. So it took a while longer after the having to actually happen. It dropped about 6%. So that helped increase the value of hash rate. Moving into your second point on hash price, uh, hash price is around 10 cents a terahash now. It was about nine and a half before this. So that really means that unless you have sub two and a half cent power for an S9, that's no longer profitable. And even for some of these new gen machines, you really need under five cents to be running a good operation so that hash price is definitely still pretty low uh, in terms of the transaction fees so transaction fees will as a percentage of block reward will double right away once the having happens because basically block rewards cut in half there was a, a large amount of transaction fees on the network at the beginning of that having period uh, which helped offset some minor pain so basically that positive price movement from around eight and a half k up to nine and a half plus the increased transaction fees somewhat offset some pain so overall i think a a good thing the benefit of that happening is that we don't have to talk about the having for another four years
0: (laughs) exactly a lot of people are saying you know we've got enough analyses going on already so yeah thanks thanks for wrapping that up i promise it's the last question on having i will (laughs) ever ask you (laughs) Now, now that i know what to expect you know four years around the corner yeah so now I want to move on to the part of our conversation where our listeners can get to know you, Ethan Vera, a bit more. What important truth about the crypto space or mining more specifically do you believe in that few might agree with you on?
1: Hmm. Um, I think our team's views on hash rate as an asset class and really everything we talked about here is pretty contrarian. To the mainstream view on mining. The idea of a mining pool acting as a buyer of hash rate is still not widely understood or accepted. Um, people don't really understand the hash rate market as being an OTC marketplace where you go one-on-one negotiate with mining pools. So I think that's still an area that a lot of people disagree with me on. I think also a lot of the existing mining pools are incentivized not to say anything about the current market because they want to exist. They want the s to exist uh, where they benefit from the opaqueness. Um, I guess another one would be also the idea that A6 produce SHA-256 hash rate. They don't produce Bitcoin. Um, they don't produce Bitcoin hash rate. And I know from a lot of Bitcoiners and even my, some of my friends, that's still not widely accepted.
0: Now it's time for a round of rapid fire mining edition. I'm going to ask you whether you're bullish or bearish on a topic and you can expand on any one of them. So you ready? Let's do it. Great. Mining pool decentralization, bullish or bearish?
1: Uh, Bullish long term. I think more buyers will, will come to the market if the market is structured correctly. So I think we'll see more decentralization at the management of hash rate level in the next two to three years.
0: Hash rate market. We talked a little bit about this earlier. Bullish or bearish?
1: Bullish, for sure. I, I think selling your hash rate on an open marketplace versus OTC is a much better way for miners to liquidate their hash rate.
0: Growth of the altcoin market. Bullish or bearish? Medium.
1: <laughs> In a hard place here. I think Bitcoin will always be king, but I think they'll always be an anti-Bitcoin. If Bitcoin is religion, there's always going to be a BCH or a BSV. And so whether those projects fail and new ones come up. I don't know, but I think there's always going to be valuable proof of work chains outside of Bitcoin, but Bitcoin will remain dominant around that 60 to 70% mark.
0: Right. And you guys as a mining pool, try to be as fair and objective as possible, right?
1: Yeah, uh, we've we've gotten to know some of the altcoin communities and there's really talented developers working on projects outside of Bitcoin. So, you know, it would be doing them a disservice to discredit what they've been working on. I think a lot of those projects do have real value.
0: What is the development within the mining industry that has surprised you over this past year?
1: Really the professionalization of ASIC manufacturers. So Bitmain, What's Miner, they're doing an incredible job, which really will help attract more North American miners into the space. I think a lot of people held back originally because you couldn't get things like warranty on your machines or no price transparency. So uh, I'm glad to see them kind of move in, in a good direction.
0: Mm-hmm. And what excites you going forward about the crypto mining industry or crypto in general?
1: Uh, probably the emergence of, of hash rate as an asset class and miners really starting to focus on the management of hash rate once they produce it. And also this podcast.
0: Thanks for the shout out. <laughs> How can our listeners get in touch with you and learn more about Luxor Technologies?
1: Yeah, you can reach me on on Twitter, Ethan underscore Vera, or on Telegram, just Ethan Vera. In terms of staying in touch with our company, uh, we're on Twitter at Luxor Tech Team. So make sure to follow us there and then send us a message if if you want to explore the mining uh, landscape.
0: Ethan, it was so great chatting with you. Thanks so much for bringing in your perspective as a mining pool operator. I think it's very important for our listeners to be able to distinguish the different types of players on the mining value chain. So appreciate your insight there and for coming on to Crypto Unstacked podcast this week. Hope to have you on again soon.
1: Thanks for having me on. It was great.
0: As always, hope you enjoyed this week's Cup of Crypto. If you like what you heard, please share and subscribe on Spotify and Anchor.fm slash Crypto Unstacked do engage with us through social media. I'll provide details in the show notes and connect with me on Twitter at Les Lambeau. That's L-E-S-L-A-M-B-0. Would love to chat with you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take care and see you at our next episode.